Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Ken the Provocateur. Scott, hmm? onward to the House of Learning. I was hoping we'd go to the house on 92nd Street. <laughs> That's true, but that wouldn't be a special event. Because we are always at the house on 92nd Street. That's where you'll find us. That's where Spy Hard's Studios was built. Yeah, originally we had planned to move into a volcano lair. We couldn't afford that. So yeah, we just found a decrepit house on 92nd Street and moved in there like a like a light infestation. We just <laughs> took over the house. And let me tell you, the rent on 92nd Street, pretty cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to go there. It's real creaky. <laughs> mm. Speaking of creaky, oh wait, no, we won't get to the film just yet. Now, uh, thank you for clicking play on this episode. And before we get to the film in question, we uh, we recently did a poll, a survey to get feedback on the show. Thank you for everyone's feedback. We're making a couple of minor adjustments on the show and the formatting. So we hope you like the changes. Do let us know what you think. But um, what I kind of want to introduce Cam, and uh, I've not prepped Cam for this at all, so he's going to be really grumpy about the amount of editing he's going to have to do now. Sorry, Cam. Oh, okay. I didn't sign off on this. Proceed with caution, young man. Okay. Well, one thing I think is 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 really fun is hearing from yourselves, hearing your emails and seeing um, reviews that you send in as well, because we never really read the reviews out or talk about the reviews, but you know, leaving reviews on places like Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Podchaser, places like that really do make a difference and they really do help us sort of jump up the podcast charts a little bit and just get a little bit of notoriety, which is probably the worst thing a spy could have, but we're not very good spies, so that's fine. So what I propose going forward before we get to the reviews, and we'll make it quick, um, is we're going to read one of our favorite reviews every week that you send in. So basically, if you want your review to be read out, leave us a five-star review on any of those places I mentioned. And uh, if we love what you wrote, we will read it out. That's the idea. You've turned me around on this whole idea, Scott. I'm on board. That didn't take much convincing, did it? <laughs> Very little, but it, it rarely <laughs> does take me much convincing. I'm really uh, flapping in the wind here. You really are, which is often the case. Flapping is usually my uh, place, to be fair. But I think maybe before I read out a couple of these uh, reviews, or some of my favorites that I've got down so far, what are we going to call this club of people that send in their reviews? Like they need to, they need to, they need to get something apart from having their message read out on air on the show and having their name dropped. Like what, what sort of like, what status are they getting? I feel like I created this title just by sheer coincidence over the years of doing this podcast. And I think it's got to be Spy Hards, Die Hards. Oh, okay. I like that. So if you want to be a Spy Hards, Die Hard, you've got to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if we love it, we'll read it out and you'll uh, become a Die Hard. That's, that's great. I think, yeah. it's, uh, I think it's great. I'd love to be a Die Hard, but I'm just a host. Yippee-ki-yay. MFA. Well, okay. Here is a couple of my favorites that I've pulled up just uh, preparing for this the first one is from P. Leonard 86. Doesn't have his full name, so I can't give you that, but for your ears only. I love that title. I use it in the intro. I'm a huge fan of the spy genre, and it's cool to hear two guys talk about it with the same passion that I have for it. I thought I knew a lot, but these intrepid agents are on another level. So grateful for this pod, discovering facts I didn't know about films I love or helping me discover films I hadn't even seen. They get great guests too. Highly recommend this review will not self-destruct in five seconds. 
Very nice. Very nice. End on the spy pun. Wonderful. You have to. You have to. And this one's got a great spy pun opener in terms of its title. Solid Golden Eye podcast from O-D-D-E-H. With a dossier on a different film or character each week, the hosts do a fun, deep dive into the spy films you know off by heart and those that might have been more covert. Background info, box office, and behind-the-scenes give this podcast a rounded feel that keeps me listening every week. Very nice. Very nice. We didn't pay these people, but they're now spy-hards, die-hards. And I do agree we are on another level. Just maybe not the level he thinks we are. The next level, triple X. Yeah, yeah. It's the State of the Union, Cam. <laughs> That's true. Yes, that is our spirit movie right there. That is what represents <laughs> us best is Triple X2, the next level. Yeah, we're, we're, is, it, is it Ice Cube or Mr. T? No, is it Ice Cube? Mr. T, what year are you existing I in? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Good Lord. You think they were casting Mr. T in the lead in like the 2000s? <laughs> I, I pity the fool who's not extreme. <laughs> It was Ice Cube, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, we uh, we live up. We try to be Ice Cube at all times. That's true. That's true. But uh, enough of that. We've inducted the first inaugural members into the Spy Hards Die Hards Club. If you want to get in yourself, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Now, Cam and I can only see between us the UK and Canada. So, if you're in a different territory and you're leaving us a review, just drop us an email with a screenshot to spyhardspod at gmail dot com. There'll be a link to that in the show notes below, and you can find it all over social media as well. But Cam, I think it's time to talk about this week's film. Let's go. All right, Cam, the people have waited long enough. We're here with bated breath. What on earth are we talking about this week, Mr. Smith? We are talking about a very recent movie, 2023's Spy Kids Armageddon, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Okay. The fifth film in the ongoing <laughs> franchise. The first, I guess the last one was what, 2011's Spy Kids All the Time in the World. So it's been a while, but the Spy Kids are back. Yeah, I I, uh, I mean, like, I wasn't expecting there to ever be another Spy Kids film. I thought after the sort of mildly mediocre return of four and the fact that the film was very mediocre meant they would never go back. But I guess Rodriguez has sort of signed a contract with Netflix and this is where we are. That is basically right i mean i'll have all that in the behind the scenes but Mm -hmm. uh yeah yeah i mean i think it's just like spy kids movies are pretty darn cheap to make sure and it's a known franchise um it makes sense at a certain point to go why don't we just spend you know 20 or 30 million and just make another one does it make sense yeah oh i think it makes complete sense oh i was being sarcastic i was being sarcastic creatively oh yeah that's a whole other question we'll get to that later Okay, well, all right then. We're teasing, folks. We're teasing. But if uh, you've never seen a Spy Kids film before or you've never heard of the fifth one, it should be on your Netflix worldwide, I think, is distribution. You should have access to it. Here is your synopsis for the film. Spy Kids Armageddon. Meet the next generation. I thought we met the next generation. Didn't we meet the next generation in all the time in the world? No, but you're right. We did meet the next generation, and that generation has apparently been forgotten. It's a lost generation. <laughs> the lost generation of Spy Kids. Do you think anyone remembers that next generation? No. I mean, weren't they being led by Carmen? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling on your Spy Kids for like, history. Do you remember the end of that film? What was the next generation set up as? 
God, no. I can't remember any of it. They're about as memorable to me as Saved by the Bell, The Next Generation. Oh, okay. So we're saying that Spy Kids 4 is the Lost Generation, and this is The Next Generation. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, we'll get into that. But here's the rest of it, folks. When the children of the world's greatest secret agents unwittingly help a powerful game developer unleash a computer virus that gives him control of all technology, they must become spies themselves to save their parents and the world. And if that sounds familiar to you folks, it's because it's the plot of one and three. <laughs> Hold off. Hold off on those thoughts, Scott. You're uh, now taking away my uh, arguments. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, uh, it's not burying the lead, is it? It's the opposite of that. I'm ruining it. Yeah, yeah, you're just like killing it. You're just hurling the lead at everyone right in their <laughs> the, face. They're like, hey, I just want to like, you know, wade into this story. And you're like, no, <laughs> lead, lead. lead. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I, I can't say I had a connection to this. I've only watched it today. I knew it was coming. I, I think I shared the trailer online when it came online. Interestingly, it dropped during like the actors strike and the writers strike. So there wasn't a lot of publicity for the film as well. So I think there wasn't a lot of fanfare for it. I feel really bad for the kids who starred in this movie because, like, I, I don't know if there'll be a sequel to this. Like, who knows? I don't know Netflix numbers. That's entirely, you know, behind the curtain. But, like... They've got two. They've got two. Viewers. They've got us. That's true. Viewers. They've got us. But, like, I mean, I do wish those kids had been able to have that little experience of, like, doing an interview or something like that because it would have mm -hmm. been, I'm sure, very fun for them. Yeah, the, the Spy Kids Armageddon World Tour. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it would have had a chance for Zachary Levi to say something stupid about the uh, the actors' strike. Yeah. Perfect. Oh yeah, I'm sure he would have said something. Uh, that yeah. seems to be his thing. Um, I remember actually weird Zachary Levi story. Oh. I was going to um, Calgary Fan Expo. Mm -hmm. Um, this this I guess it would have been this year actually in April, and um, he was scheduled to attend along with yeah. the the younger kid um from Shazam. Uh, the it was like the two of them were there representing Shazam too, but it wasn't the two friends. It, yeah, okay. So the kid that was attending the the um the convention was not the kid that uh becomes Shazam. It was the other kid, the friend, the one who like videotapes him and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> the two of them are scheduled to attend right before the convention date. Shazam mm -hmm. two hits theaters and is like a box office implosion. Like it just is terrible. So like. Zachary Levi cancels on that con like the night before. I was up at like midnight just like checking, you know, events of the day because I'd attended, you know, what the Friday or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then there was like a video popped up of Zachary Levi being like, oh, sorry, I can't get a plane. I'm stranded in the middle of nowhere, Calgary. <laughs> I won't be there. So he really like hung out that uh, kid high and dry to um, be at the convention on his own fielding Shazam 2 questions. <laughs> I wonder how busy that panel was. I don't think it would have been that. Well, I mean, I think if you are in a recognizable movie, you'll at least have some people in the room at a convention. But they didn't even put that kid in the main, like, the main room. It was right. like some private small room off to the side. I don't even... I didn't go. I can only assume Zachary Levi, if they'd been there together, he would have had a bigger room. Yeah. And I really do think, like, had Shazam 2 opened to, like, $90 million... Zachary Levi, that magical plane would have appeared. 
Yeah, I think it would have materialized. He would have shazammed his way there and running, going shazam, and look at all the money yeah. I'm making. But okay, that, that, that's a bit a bit low of uh, of old Zach Levi. But yeah, the guy has some uh, spy connections. He was in. I don't know if it's in your notes. I'm stealing it all. Uh, yeah, he's in so. Chuck. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I actually watched that show for most of its run. I think it was a really nice show, a really fun sort of spy TV show. Yeah, I never saw it, but I know it definitely had um, positive reviews behind it and uh i i remember thinking i should watch this which is more than i think about a lot of tv shows so i did feel momentarily like oh i'm missing out on something oh well <laughs> okay. it, it was kind of like it was about geeks uh, uh that becomes spies kind of like kids that become spies in its own way uh it had kind of like a big bang theory vibe in that geek sense but without punching down at geeks like big bang theory does which i really can't stand not yeah. a fan of that show, folks, by the way. Bazinga. Ugh. Can you believe they're still making Young Sheldon? I mean, it exists in a void that I am not really that aware of. I watched it for a couple of episodes in Vegas this year when you guys had gone and I had COVID and I was in the hotel room and I felt a bit crap. I was like, oh, I'll put something on. Young Sheldon's on. I don't think I laughed once. It could have been the, the temperature. But yeah, you would have thought the hysteria would have made me laugh. You'd think. You'd think. Right. I've never seen it. Uh, I think I saw one or two episodes of Big Bang Theory, and that was enough. Bazinga. Well, yeah, let's get into it, because we had said goodbye to the Spy Kids world. Spy Kids, four films. Uh, one, at least, had made the knock list. It has another opportunity now, so let, let's set it up. Cam, how did we get Armageddon? Yes, so Robert Rodriguez is obviously the mastermind behind this series, as well as, you know, Troublemaker Studios, which did Desperado from Dust Till Dawn, Sin mm -hmm. City, all sorts of uh, films that are very popular with people. And so what has he been up to recently? He's been pretty prolific, actually, on projects that people are quite aware of, especially the Star Wars universe, where he mm -hmm. was an exec producer on the Book of Boba Fett, directed three episodes. He also directed an episode of, I think, season two of The Mandalorian. So, like, he's definitely had a lot of eyeballs on some of his recent work. He also put out a movie that no one saw that has vanished off the face of the earth called Hypnotic. He wrote and directed it, and it was starring Ben Affleck. And it was kind of like a sci-fi thriller film that had issues where like the studio that made it went out of business and so the movie just kind of got jockeyed around and wound up at a studio called ketchup pictures or something like that and opened with like no marketing and just vanished off the face of the earth when i was flying to europe recently it was playing on the in-flight entertainment on the way and i didn't watch it but i thought i'm gonna watch this on the way home it's 90 minutes sign me up and then when I got on the plane home, it wasn't playing on the in-flight entertainment, so I have not seen Hypnotic. Well, that's that that's quite sad. And also, I'm just looking at the picture of the premiere, uh, where Ben Affleck hasn't attended, but it's uh, William Fitchner, Robert Rodriguez, and Bonnie Discasepolo. I think it's one of the okay. co-stars, uh, with no one there. So yeah. yeah, that says it all, really. I mean, that was the uh, theater as well. I mean, it was not reviewed well, but... I mean, I think it was a little bit of an unfair case of just like sure. a new distributor with no power whatsoever. This thing was just not going to perform regardless of how good it was. Yeah. No, no, I'm not holding it against the film. Maybe it's a great film. Check it out if you want to see some more Ben Affleck in your life. You may just enjoy it. Let us know. But yeah, go on, Cam. So Robert Rodriguez was meeting with Netflix um, back in the probably 2018, 2019. Mm -hmm. And he was in there pitching them on a project. Don't know the details of that project. And... Netflix said, eh, 
we're, we're not so into that. What we'd really like is something like Spy Kids because Spy Kids movies have done incredibly well on Netflix. And so Robert Rodriguez said, oh, okay. So in 2020, he released with Netflix We Can Be Heroes, which saw the return of Sharkboy and Lava Girl. And that one, um, the plot of it is about kids saving their parents and the planet from aliens. You can see a little bit of the Spy Kids formula there. Just a bit. It was a big success on Netflix. Uh, okay. Netflix said like they were just getting a ton of views. I think the key to this is that, um, and Rodriguez talked about this in some of his some of his interviews, that kids just hit play on things over and over again, mm-hmm. which for Netflix analytics is very very good. And kids will watch things a billion times or watch five minutes of something at a time. And so, uh, We Can Be Heroes was very popular, and clearly the Spy Kids franchise had been very popular for that reason as well. I, I can completely understand that and have experienced the very phenomena. I, I went on holiday with my family earlier this year um, and I've got some younger nieces and nephews. And I think I watched the Hotel Transylvania 1 to 4 series, I think about three times in different bits. It was just on like play during the day. They were just being play, 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 restart, restart, restart. I, I, I actually quite enjoyed them when i sat down and watched it a little bit there's some great animation in there but i just thought like this is literally all they want to watch constantly so yeah i could see the spy kids films especially the first couple really sort of churning yeah and so because of the success of we can be heroes that led into netflix helping rodriguez get the rights to spy kids because they were obviously tied up spy kids i believe were dimension films which was a, a shingle uh, headed by bob weinstein uh, back in, I think, Miramax back in the day. I don't think it was Weinstein Company. I think it was always Miramax. Mm-hmm. But, like, with the collapsing of, you know, the Weinstein Group and then Dimension being tied into, I would assume, Miramax and Disney and all that sort of thing, the rights were very convoluted. So Netflix basically figured those out and was able to acquire them, which then led to Spy Kids Armageddon. Although, weirdly, I can only get Spy Kids Armageddon on my Netflix currently. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I guess it's just like whatever licensing they had on the first four is Mm. just over for now. But who knows? Maybe they'll be back now that the rights are figured out. I've seen it happen a lot when like I think, you know, when Amazon bought the Bond films, for instance, they were on Amazon for a little while, then disappeared completely and have only now just been put back on for everyone to watch as part of Prime. You could rent it, of course, but now it's part of Prime. You can watch it whenever you'd like. And you think they should be able to do that because Amazon own bond yeah i mean a lot of times there's licensing agreements that were written before rights Mm -hmm. are held by someone so it may be agreed that it has to appear on i don't know amazon or apple or something for an extended period and then it'll be back later but but we digress Uh, rights talk is not what you turn up here for (laughs) or maybe it is maybe it is (laughs) when uh rodriguez was asked about like why he wanted to do another spy kids movie he said money a lot of (laughs) well partially i'm sure a lot of the young parents that i know who grew up with it have kids now and he's referring to the spy kids earlier films sure and so i thought it would be really special for them to have this legacy moment of watching armageddon with their kids and saying this is the kind of cool movie i grew up with there are very few movies that you grow up with really loving as a kid where you can show them a new version made by the same people that's pretty rare is it that rare these days? <laughs> I was just I was running through it in my head because like the same people are making Indiana Jones films. Indiana Jones is debatable because it's not like George Lucas and Spielberg are making them. 
Yeah, but they were involved. Not the new one. Spielberg has a producer credit, but not Lucas. Spielberg Lucas is out. Yeah, I've seen him do. I've seen him do talking heads about that film. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that's necessarily true. And also, I'm not sure. You know, let's say my generation was about the right time for Spy Kids. I was about you know, 10, 11 when the first one came out. I guess I'm probably the target audience, and I'm. I suppose in terms of like ages, I'm supposed to have had kids now if I ever wanted to have had kids or would be planning to have kids now. I don't think if I have had these imaginary children uh, <laughs> who would actually be spy kids, funnily enough. That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't think I would be showing them spy kids. You don't think so? No, I think I'd be showing them like you only live twice or Thunderball or something. <laughs> oh my like, God. Now I'm judging you as a parent. <laughs> I, I, that's why I don't have kids. Here's license to kill little three-year-old Timmy. Enjoy. <laughs> why is that head popping? Don't ask. Don't ask. <laughs> I think I would show them Spy Kids. That's a great introduction to the to the franchise or to, to the spy world. Uh, maybe I'm just being a bit silly. Maybe I would show them Spy Kids, but like I don't think that would be my you know first reached for kids spy film. What would be? Hmm. One of our dinosaurs is missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I'd go for something funny like Johnny English. I find that to be quite comical and plat. But But I'm thinking like a six year old. Uh, Yeah. I'm a bad parent, apparently, folks. (laughs) And and you'll note as well, I've I've actually got fundamental, like mathematical backing for this assertion that I'm a bad parent because, as I mentioned, I have nieces and nephews. How many times have I been asked to to sort of babysit them? How many times have you showed them Johnny English movies? <laughs> oh, hundreds, hundreds of times. And like, let's watch the second and the third. They're like, no, we want to watch Hotel Transylvania, Uncle Scott. And like, no, Johnny English strikes again. <laughs> um, well, okay, I, I, I think between us, we probably would make a good parent. But uh, let us know, folks, what would be the best spy movie to show a kid, like a very, very young kid, at the age of the spy kids. I don't know, is that eight or nine? 10? Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, 8, 9. Yeah. You could go younger, I think. I think so. I mean, I was watching a lot of these films when I was about that age. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I just think there's not a lot of competition. I'd be like, what, the Boss Baby movies? Cars 2? Eh. Despicable Me? Yeah, those count, actually. I guess those are pretty popular. Hmm. Yeah. So, the series, according to Rodriguez, began as sort of memories of his childhood. Sure. And as he's moved into these, like, oh, I'm sure all the time in the world, but also this film... They're much more inspired by stories based around his own experiences with his kids, as well mm-hmm. as being a parent. For example, um, the villain in this movie is called calls himself the King, which is what Rodriguez used to call himself when he was playing video games with his kids and beating them. That's cute. That's yeah. cute use of history. I like that. Well, a lot of sort of his history has been tied into these films, if I remember correctly, especially with the early ones. Yeah, and he wanted this movie to be very much sold as by families for families. Because this is very much a family affair, this series, and more so than ever with this movie, because it's co-written by his son, Racer Max, a.k.a. Racer Rodriguez, um, who's worked with his dad for quite a while now. And back in the day, he was playing a spy kid in Spy Kids 2. He was also the seven-year-old shark boy in Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. He appeared in Alita Battle Angel and We Can Be Heroes. He had a story credit at the age of, I think, six on Shark Boy and Lava Girl, because mm-hmm. it was something him and his dad came up with together. And he co-wrote a Rodriguez movie, a very cheap, kind of independent, low-budget, like $7,000 movie called Red Eleven that I have not seen. 
and then he's now co-written this film. He's also a producer on We Can Be Heroes, Hypnotic, and this film as well. Well, I I completely get the sort of by families, for families thing. It's, I mean, I don't really listen to parent groups or anything like that, but there's always a concern that kids are being exposed to things at the wrong age, just like me trying to show kids License to Kill. So, you know, I appreciate a family-friendly film being made by a family. Yeah, and the other kids were involved too. Um, Rebel Rodriguez worked on the score for this film, composed a number of the pieces that are throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And his other kid, Rhiannon Rodriguez, performed uh, the song Wake Up Sleepyhead in the film and also collaborated on the song Armageddon, which plays in the end credits with Tiger Darrow. Okay. (laughs) Scott's enthusiasm for the music of Spy Kids Armageddon is very much coming through. But uh, also, all of his kids collaborated on the video games featured in the film. And they were behind the concepts and the visuals of this of the look of the video games. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh I, my God. I don't mean to leave you high and dry like that. It, it's more <laughs> just like, I, I I like to know that this is, it's kind of nice that he's doing this Rodriguez and, and creating a potential career avenue for his kids going forward. when they get a little bit older. Uh, but I, I can't say the music of Spy Kids has ever jumped out to me. How dare you? I thought you would have the uh, Spotify playlist just on an endless loop in your house right now. It's funny. At the end of this film happened, and I heard the Armageddon song, like you mentioned. And I was trying to remember the name of the song from the second one. Is it just the Island of Lost Dreams? Is that the name of the song? Because you have the girl singing it, and it's like a really cheesy song with a music video. Yeah, I think that maybe it might have been the third one. Yeah. They both had songs. They both had songs. Because I think the other song was called Game Over, much like the film. Yeah. Well, I okay, I'll create a Spotify playlist for everyone so we can relish in the uh that happens far <laughs> too many times in this film. <laughs> and much like the previous films, the movie was also produced by Elizabeth Avalon, who is Rodriguez's ex-wife. Or I think they're separated, I should say. They've been separated for many years now, but she's the mother of obviously all these kids. Okay. Well, it's nice to have a relationship too. Mhm. And Rodriguez said like Nothing's really changed in the way he's made these movies. They were still shooting on the same green screens as the original Spy Kids, using a lot of the wire rigs used in the original films as well. Uh, So because he was asked about, you know, because he oversees the visual effects on these movies himself, um, that not a lot has changed from the original to now. And you can't tell. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that kind of is like the um, background on (laughs) this... um, fifth spy kids film i want to thank the uh spy kids database who were invaluable in calling together this research for me because they contacted us and asked if we would need any links and boy did they supply them and sometimes when you're reviewing newer movies there's not a lot out there other than kind of the very you know bite-sized press videos that no one really watches Mm -hmm. and so thanks to at spy kids database on twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, for uh, really lending their support and, I guess, sponsoring this episode's behind the scenes of. Yeah, I I, I love the team at, at uh, Spy Kids Database. They have a wonderful Discord server for those who love Spy Kids and want to talk all things Spy Kids movies. So uh, hit them up on, on Twitter slash X slash whatever Elon changes to, to next. I, I guess there's no like behind, there's, there's no like box office because it was not released. 
So Well, yeah, that's I was going to just say the top three for the year because this is not a theatrical release. The top three, sure. Barbie, number two, Super Mario Brothers, number three, Oppenheimer. I think that will hold true. I don't think that like Aquaman 2 is going to knock these films off their perch or um, Wonka. The only one I would have a question mark about is the Disney animated film Wish, but we'll see. So I, I was wondering where Oppenheimer was sitting, so it's taken third now. Yeah, at the worldwide box office, yeah. Good for Oppenheimer. Yes. And so Rodriguez was asked, as a wrap-up here, whether we would see legacy characters team up with the characters in Armageddon. And he said, I wanted to reestablish a new family in Armageddon. It could still be in the same world, so if we can make more films, there easily could be legacy characters that come back. But because it'd been so long since all the time in the world, it was important to just start the franchise fresh and then go from there. I would love to bring back characters. I would love to connect the worlds. That would be so fun. And he noted in another interview that they typically shoot these movies in the summer because that's when, obviously, kids don't have school. So I would say summer 2024, we may hear about a production rolling. Cam is keeping his fingers and toes crossed for the uh, Spy Kids meet Spy Kids Armageddon family film that we've all been waiting for. Do the Spy Kids from um, All the Time in the World make a cameo? They get obliterated instantaneously at the start of the film. <laughs> if they popped up, would you recognize them? Oh, that's a very good point. Well, I, In my mind's eye, can I actually picture them now? That's the question. No, I don't think I can. That's concerning. <laughs> I can't. I can't. That... I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. No, I, I could definitely pick up the originals and these most recent ones because of just recency bias. But yeah, the, the Spy Kids, four kids. That's a weird sentence that no one's ever rotted. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I could, I, could, I could even describe them particularly. I know it's a boy and a girl. That's all they've got. Yeah, I got nothing. Okay. Yeah, they, they get obliterated at the start of the film. With like the mm -hmm. rest of the OSS, and they're like, oh, we need to bring out some veterans, and then like Carla Gugino just like drops down from the, the ceiling or something like that and does a flip. Yeah. Da -na -na -na. <laughs> <laughs> we need that sound cue just to play at this episode at random times. Like when like Bond walks through a hotel lobby and you get the Bond theme. Right. Just at random times, just da -na -na -na. Uh, just because you can. Uh, well, let's let's get down to it cam let's talk about spy kids armageddon i think i should lead us off because i was so passionate about the original spy kids film yeah of the two of us i think i'm the biggest spy kids franchise fan i think by age yeah you would be yeah sure and i i accept that burden. thank you I, mm. I i bear it well my top line was sigh kids Ooh, pretty good i have i haven't heard that one used before thank you thank you i'm here all week folks um, and then I, I then wrote three paragraphs. This is weird. I wrote three paragraphs about something that made no sense, but I'll read it to you somewhat verbatim. Just to, It's like a story. And more of a question to you, Cam, as well. I mean, have you ever had one of those like evenings and you've, you've bought a pizza, maybe some ice cream, and you've gorged yourself? You've eaten it all, and you're just, like, you're just feeling like, and it's just like you've realized it's like three in the morning. You've been watching YouTube videos about the trains used during the Civil War because the great locomotive chase inspired you to do some research. And you just sit and go like, what am I doing with my life? 
This feels very specific. <laughs> this is not a relatable universal story. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not. Um, but I, I was there when I watched this film. I had that feeling again. About midway through, I looked at the clock and I thought, oh my God, this has to be over soon. And it was... <laughs> oh my God, I had the same thing happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's probably around the same, like 30, 35 minute mark. I was like, this has got to be towards the end. What? 43. That was my number. It was about... It was, I think it might I think it might be about then. I just... I was like, why is this nowhere near finished? And I had to like just think to myself, like I had this sense of like regret and this sense of like... What am I doing? Why am I here? But I had to dial in a little bit because, you know, ultimately this is a kid's film. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is not built for you or I. And us taking shots at it is funny to me and to you, I hope, and to you listening at home. But, you know, we have to try and appraise it as a kid's film for an audience of kids. Not a family film. Definitely not a family film. Literally the next sentence I was going to say, and it's the finishing yeah. up of my notes which is the smallest amount of notes I've ever written for a film. Sure. This is crazy. Uh, The original Spy Kids film and a little bit the second were written for families. Mm -hmm. They were, there was adult, not adult themes, but adult like jokes at things that adults were doing and things that adults would pay attention to. The second one, it had like the Harry Housen work in there and things like that. Things for you to go, okay, this is kind of interesting as an adult watching it with your kids. The third one, it went off the deep end with the video game thing, got a little too CG. The fourth one is Trainwreck, although the TikTok guy was funny. Uh, this is entirely for kids. And I think it's very hard for me to sort of just put that kid hat on and try and appraise it from that angle. Like, there's, there's, it's not full of fart and poop jokes like the fourth one was. And I kind of appreciate that, that the, the humor is a bit closer to what the original Spy Kids film was. Yeah. But it's also devoid of any of the sort of creativity or chemistry between the actors that the or like the wit, as I mentioned, that any of the predecessors had. And like there's a reason why that Carla Gugino Antonio Banderas family worked. They got on well and had great chemistry with each other. The the kids, the spy kids, as it were, they had great chemistry as brother and sister. When they were playing off of each other, it was a lot of fun. There was just nothing here for me to attach myself to. No performance that stood out. No scene that I felt was worth praising. I was I was frustrated and just... Well, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. I was frustrated. That's the word. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'm too far away from that. I think... And I fall down on that same you know argument of like the kids film versus family film. To me, like, I watched that second Spy Kids movie which didn't make the knock list, but we did appreciate a lot of the creative things it was doing, especially the Harryhausen uh, homages. But there's that bit where like um, Steve Buscemi gives that like very philosophical line about God. And you're just like, this is an adult working in something that other adults in the audience are going to go like, oh, wow, what does that mean? Yeah. And I really enjoy when a filmmaker can walk the line. I think Pixar is incredible at doing this, Mm -hmm. where they can make a movie that like any six-year-old can sit and watch but like 40-year-olds can sit there and weep. <laughs> yeah. It's a very tough thing to pull off. And Rodriguez was trying to do it, it felt like, in those first two. I remember the you know, bit in the first film where we're finding out about how on, uh, Antonio Banderas met Carlo Gugino. And it felt almost like Amelie or something like that, like this very you know, artistic 
quirky, fun little romantic sequence that you're like, adults would really delight in watching this. There's absolutely not a single moment like that in this movie. And I was sitting there watching it and kind of gauging my own feelings and like thinking, this is not as terrible as All the Time in the World or Spy Kids 3D. Like those two to me were just absolute punishment to sit through. It's competently made. It is. And when I look at like 3D, it's just, it's it's not even a movie. It's just a 3D demo reel to yeah. keep kids entertained in a theater. To watch it at home is torture. Um, the fourth one just doesn't succeed at all as a relaunch, mm-hmm. but at least has things like um, the TikTok villain was kind of a fun concept. Yeah. That I was like, okay, they're trying something new. I haven't seen this in a Spy Kids movie before. Whereas this movie, when I was watching the villain, uh, played by Billy Magnuson as the king, I'm like, wait, is it, isn't this like the same thing as Stallone in Spy Kids 3D? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm watching the exact same movie. The only difference being that like technology has advanced a bit. And so we're seeing more the concept of like a modern video game versus like an older video game. Because I know that like Racer Max was very much the inspiration for the kids being way more technologically savvy than the parents. Mm-hmm. That was his idea because kids nowadays are raised on, you know, iPads and screens and all this sort of thing. Sure. So that's a good idea, but it didn't feel like there was like kind of like a next end. <laughs> it's like kids are more savvy and it just felt like they fell back on greatest hits. When I'm watching the skeletons show up in this movie, I'm like, wait, didn't I see these in Spy Kids 2? It just didn't feel like there was anything to this movie unique other than the cast. Mm-hmm. And it didn't even feel like the world was as visually dynamic. And look, we poked fun at some of the earlier Spy Kids movies because they looked pretty cheap. Like they look, uh, in terms of effects, like they've aged uh, pretty poorly. But the ambition was there, even if the ultimate results weren't there. Like Rodriguez was trying crazy things. When I watched this one, I'm like, this feels so boilerplate. Everything about it just feels almost like the Spy Kids TV show that a major network would make. I, I actually had that as one of my notes, is it feels like a TV show. Yeah. like It, it, it's la- it feels like it's lacking in budget, and by that means it's lacking in creativity. I, I use that creativity word before. But you look at, like, I mean, some of the CG and stuff was, was shocking in, in 3D, and it was better in 4 but like you look at the OSS offices in some of the movies, they're really bonkers. I remember like there's a someone sitting at a table, and the only way to get to a table is to like walk on these very tall like stepping stones, which is a very precarious place for your office table to be. But it had mm. like it felt like a world. Like it, it it was world building in the best form. And this, I mean, the, the OSS building is basically just an office block here. Like that, it's not got any of that vibe to it, which I felt was a, a, a definitely a loss. When you watch the first movie, it feels like Rodriguez is just exploding with ideas. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have the money to accomplish them all, but he is going to fit them all in, damn it. Yep. And obviously some ideas wound up being even held over for Spy Kids too, but it just feels like that first one is overstuffed with like, there's so much I want to do. And this movie, I'm like, well, you've got like the, the like duck vehicle, you know, the plane boat thing. Mm-hmm. You've got some gadgets. I mean, what else is there? There's the video game world, but that feels borrowed from the third movie. It doesn't feel like he's coming into this with like, you know what? It's been several years since I made a Spy Kids movie. You know, between myself and my kids, we have not come up with something that feels like this feels like 
new like a new vision for Spy Kids. It feels like kind of trying to like look, the fourth one didn't work for that next generation. We got to try again. Netflix says these movies play a lot, so let's just crank out another one. It doesn't feel like they were inspired. Well, unfortunately, and I I didn't chart it in my notes, but I was just sort of following along and I've seen the first Spy Kids film enough times to know the plot. Yeah. And literally like the punctuation of like the bits that happen at the end of each act. And this film follows almost the exact plot of the first one, pretty much beat for beat, including a change of heart of the, you know, the villain at the end and things like that. You know, because Floop or whatever his name was from the first one became, becomes part of like the team by the second yeah. film. And this yeah. is the same thing happens with Billy Magnuson, the power of forgiveness. And he's happy again. He's a nice guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like because I could see it from another perspective. He Rodriguez could have said, look, I'm making a new Spy Kids film 10 years later from the last Spy Kids film. I'm going to reuse the plot. I'm going to reuse a lot of the elements, but I'm going to reframe it in like a with a different vibe or something or, or try something different. But he didn't do any of that. He just used the same elements and the same plot to make a kit bash that frankly doesn't work and is uh, at least maybe if he'd done it with like some top-notch actors mm-hmm. that like had chemistry with each other, you can be like, okay, Anna Diarmas is the mum and Chris Evans is the dad or something like that. I know that's the cast, the cast of Ghosted, but you know, put some big names into it who can have, who have chemistry and can have a scene together. Whereas I, I'm afraid, you know, I, I'm not going to say much about the kids because it's always hard to cast kid actors, but Zachary Levi and Gina Rodriguez I mean, it's not setting the world on fire. I'm not a Zachary Levi fan by any stretch of the imagination, so I, but I liked him in Chuck, so I was hoping for something out of him in this, but there's nothing there. And if I want to watch an imitation of a Spy Kids film, I would probably go watch The Tuxedo or something like that, or um, what's the one with the guy from Malcolm in the Middle who travels around Europe? Cody Banks. Cody Thank you, Banks. yes. I'll go watch yeah. the Cody Banks films. Yeah, it, it's a real shame for me because... He could have taken this opportunity to reframe Spy Kids and and do it again and do it in style, but he's it feels like Rodriguez has done it for cheap and with no soul. Yeah, and I mean I'm not going to take aim at the two kids, no, because ultimately child actors I tend to think is there is a certain amount of talent, of course, that has to be required of the kids, but I really tend to look more at the director mm-hmm. and the performances he's getting out of kids. Yeah. And it felt like there was a lot of shouty child acting going on in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of thing where I go, oh, like that I put on Rodriguez because he's directing them. He's the one getting line readings out of them. And it just felt like, oh, this is like the type of child acting that was annoying back in the day. And I, I don't know why he's doing this, uh, especially when you compare it to like the previous, you know, versions of the Spy Kids, which I think he could sometimes fall into that tendency, but it also felt like he was getting more organic performances out of them. I, I was just literally going to jump in with the exact same note. I, I never thought I'd be at a point where I would be praising the performances of Alexa Penavega and Daryl Sabara as the Spy Kids, the OG Spy Kids, but they genuinely had moments of like character and mm-hmm. moments of like a pathos. And they, uh, th- th- there was actual like, their characterization had gave the film stakes. They felt, like in da- I could feel they felt in danger, or I could feel they were happy. I didn't feel any of that from the kids, and that's I, I'm going to agree that I'm going to put that down as you know, a fault of what Rodriguez did as the director and the creator of this whole film. But 
I do not want to spend the next 20, 30 minutes just uh, dropping bombs on this film. I want to try and see if we can find things that we do like about it because we try and celebrate creating films here on the show. It's hard to make any film, let alone a film for Netflix that you've done three times already. So let's take us in to the high score round. (laughs) For those who've seen the film, you'll get that pun. Um, The likes, basically. Is there some things you want to talk about that you liked? I would say... I have a couple of like little things that I liked about this film. I thought that uh, some of the digital work looked a lot better than 3D or all the time in the world, especially when they're in the video game. Yeah, some of that looks actually quite good. Comparing that to, say, when they're in like his dungeon or the Aztec cave thing or whatever that was, that looked a lot like just the two adult leads running around a a blue screen room, which is exactly what it was. Whereas the video game felt like it had some sort of weight to it. So I think that was just better, better realized digital effects. Yeah, I agree. That actually was a huge step up from the third one in particular, where that stuff's torture to sit and rewatch now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it felt like he was having fun with that video game concept. I still think high score is a lame name for a game. (laughs) Like I was like, really? That's the best he got? Okay, but yeah, like creations like the uh, the Heck Knight, mm-hmm. I thought were like clever and a fun way of like creating a video game universe that can kind of spread into the real world. Whereas like everything in uh, the third one felt completely random. It was like hopping toads or whatever the heck those Robo things were toads called, or something pogo like that. toads. Yeah, or, that's yeah. It. It's just like okay, now we're surrounded by pogo toads for like five minutes, and then something else happens, and then something else happens here. There had been thought put into, what is this high score game? What are the worlds? What are the characters? I like the whole polygon-based architecture that they wander into. Fun little elements like that appeal. This is the one thing I'll say, like, in terms of, like, uh, a family audience. I think this movie would play very poorly to parents. Mm -hmm. But I do think, like, there is a fun little attempt to kind of, like, create a video game world that people that grew up on, like, you know, like myself, like original Nintendo or SNES can get some amusement out of the video game world in the same way their kids could. Yeah, and I think they, as someone who does play sort of more modern video games, they do design a lot of those video game segments like a video game. There are minions you get through and you get to a boss. Like, that's not a new thing that's been going on for a long time. You just think of Mario. You go through a level and eventually you get to Bowser. It's just how it works. But I appreciate that there was a little thought that went into that and how they designed that sort of final battle, the final climax of the film when the whole family goes into the game. That was clearly, I think, coming from the kids in the Rodriguez family. And yeah, I think it's a nice touch. Yeah. And the video game stuff also gave me one of the most depressing moments of my life, really. Um, And this turns into a like, so (laughs) fear not, folks. But like, there's the point where they're with Devlin the new head of OSS Mm -hmm. and he's trying to play the video games and he's like kids have you ever heard of GoldenEye and I was like they are now assigning GoldenEye to these square out of touch old people (laughs) I was like oh my god and the spike it just rolled their eyes at each other I'm like oh god I am the I am now Devlin that is where I am in life you are now the lost generation. Yes. But what I do like about this movie, this is where I'm going to spit it into a positive, is mm. the way that they empower kids. Because sure. in this world, adults are kind of like fumbling. <laughs> Even like yeah. uh, Zachary Levi has created the Armageddon Code, which is a lot like Heart 
in Heart of Stone where they just say it a billion times through the course of the movie. But like it's the trans mooker of the film. He loves a MacGuffin, Al Rodriguez. He does, yes. But like um Zachary Levi's character built this Armageddon code, but then we find out at a certain point that it was actually the son that uh had basically created the base code that Zachary built off of. So the idea of like kids having like an imagination that is necessary to succeed especially in unconventional ways because ultimately the message of this movie is be honest and you know be kind to other people and the way that we see that that influence conflicts over the course of the movie sometimes it felt pretty treacly and uh (laughs) kind of scolding in some ways i was like this is kind of annoying but at the same time i give the movie points for really channeling all of its kind of like storytelling through the sensibilities that a kid might have and I appreciate the film had a Good Will Hunting reference and the fact that the kid just walked up and solved it and then walked off and didn't know anything about it. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Mm. Wonderkind. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of two Bond references I picked up in the film. They did also mention uh, we have all the time in the world. The two kids mentioned it when they were walking around the OSS uh, secret base, I think it was. Now, was that a reference to Bond or was that a reference to Spy Kids 4? Because they also said game over at one point. I didn't catch the game over. I would say it's probably, I mean, that line's so historic and so infamous yeah. that I know Rodriguez took it from on the Manchester Secret Service. So it's, it's, if it, it, maybe it's a nod to Spike It's 4, but that was a nod to On Her Majesty's. So it's both. Yeah, I wasn't sure because, I mean, obviously it's a Bond illusion, as you said. But when he had mentioned that one, I wrote it down. But then when he said, the, I think it was Tony, the character Tony, said game over. I was like, wait a second. Is he naming Spy Kids movies within Spy Kids 5? I'm just trying to think of it. Did they at any point try and work in, oh, this is really the island of lost dreams? Everyone's like, what are you talking about? What? what? Why? I feel <laughs> like that was a tough one to nail. They turned to Connor Esterson and Everly Carganillo and uh, were like, we can't force these kids to say island of lost dreams in this context. It would be too confusing. I mean, if you wanted to do it, you just have him pick up a video game and it go, it's called The Island of Lost Dreams. He goes, oh, I played that one already. True, yeah. That's such a throwaway line, but you could say it and it would make sense and it, w- it would make sense in context. Um, the, the only other note in terms of uh, the high score section, as it were, I appreciate that Billy Magnuson goes a bit big with it. I've never really seen Billy Magnuson go megalomaniacal before, which was interesting. Hmm. Uh, but I do... I, I mean, I've got a question. I was going to save it to the end, but I'll ask it now because I'm talking about Billy Magnuson. What does Robert Rodriguez have on Billy Magnuson? Well, I mean, I guess this is a good opportunity in some ways because it's like, if you're Billy Magnuson, you're not a star. No. He's been in supporting roles in like No Time to Die. He was in Aladdin as well. Those are kind of like Bridge the big... Bridge of Spies, yeah. Bridge of Spies. But those are like supporting roles that get attention. Here's a case where it's like, okay, you get to play the primary villain on a movie that's going to be playing on Netflix, so it's going to be accessible to you know, like um, <laughs> millions and millions of people's homes, so you're going to get seen a lot. I guess I can see the upside, plus it's like, if you look at the original Spy Kids films, mm-hmm. those movies gave adults a lot of really fun things to do, uh, whether it's like the entire family unit, including Danny Trejo and Cheech Marin, you know and the parents and everything like that in the originals. You've also got like Steve Buscemi in the second one. Um, I'm sure Stallone had fun making the third one, even if that performance is not exactly that much fun to watch for the audience now. But I can see why you would think, okay, we're going to go 
this is not really a studio film. This is a Robert mm. Rodriguez film. So I'm gonna, it's going to be me and his family kind of joking around in front of green screens, trying different things, seeing what works. It just didn't feel like when it was over that uh, I was like, that was a cool character. Like, I thought Fagin Floop in the original, yep. great character. And Alan mm-hmm. Cumming clearly had a ball playing him. But, like, he was an interesting, unique personality to watch on screen. There was nothing about King that was interesting. No, and also, you know, Steve Buscemi's Ramiro from the second one, also an interesting character that has a bit of a dimension to it. Even there's a guy, he turns up in one of the films in like a cowboy hat. Oh, what is his name? Oh, Bill Paxton. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's in the second one. He, yeah, he owns the fairground and turns up in the third one. Uh, did somebody ring the something or other? It's a great quote that I'm completely forgetting. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to annoy me now. Maybe I'll use it as the outro line. But uh, yeah, it can build interesting characters, but Billy Magnuson was not one of them. No, I was really missing that kind of really well-cast supporting players all around the kids. It just didn't feel like it was very present. And like uh, Gina Rodriguez uh, was very popular on the TV show Jane the Virgin. I never saw that show. Okay, Um, I've seen her in some movies, but her and Zachary Levi feel a little more like kind of TV actors being put at the head of this franchise. Whereas, like, when you go back to that original, Banderas is like a heartthrob. Like, it's, it just hit me. It just... Okay. <laughs> Scott is experiencing a moment of madness. Antonio Banderas and Carla Gugino are the True Lies 1990s. Oh, yeah. Zachary Levi and Gina Rodriguez are the True Lies TV show version of that couple. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to fault either Levi or Rodriguez because it's like, what material do they have? Mm-hmm. And they sure. they deliver what is expected of them, I think. Uh, Zachary Levi is trying to like get quips. You know, quips that aren't particularly funny, but he's trying. He's trying to make them yeah, work yeah, yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And Rodriguez, I think, has some really great physical like action in this movie. And also just has like a charisma as a performer. But like when I look at the that original parent unit, like those two are like a smoke show. Mm-hmm. And they have I mean, Banderas at this point, that's post Desperado and all that sort of thing. Like he is like a heartthrob. Gugino's not doing too bad herself. And like they create really like smoldering moments with the two of them, but also like they're just having so much fun. They give them so many memorable set pieces and mm-hmm. moments and like scenes bouncing off the kids. Whereas like here, it didn't feel like that material was there. And I realize we're not talking about high scores anymore, but it was just frustrating because it's like <laughs> I'd like to walk out of one of these movies being like, even if I don't like it. For example, the fourth one, uh-huh. I didn't like the fourth one, but I was like, you know, that uh, Jeremy Piven TikTok character was actually pretty interesting. It's also interesting that we're not mentioning Joel McHale or Jessica Alba when it comes to parent units. Uh, <laughs> this was the Spy same Kids thing. It was the same, same thing. But yeah. I would at least say with Spy Kids 4, I, I know we're like, just running comparisons. We're, we're onto the low score section. I'll take us there in a minute. Don't worry. Um, I, at least with them, like Joel McHale had that spy catcher gimmick going on that was kind of interesting. And Jessica Alba was like pregnant, which was a, a different spin on things. I, I, I just appreciate that it was slightly offbeat of what a usual spike is story is this is very much textbook unfortunately textbook without the sort of well without the chemistry without the creativity without the spark and that is a shame but i will have one more like before i let us go and that is just over 90 minutes yeah i didn't always feel like it but 
Yes, I agree. No, but some of the Spy Kids did go longer, and we had problems with that in the past. So I was just keeping track on times of the, the, the running length, and we realized that actually the, the bang on time is about 90 minutes for this sort of film, which is the first one was. So I'm glad that Rodriguez noted that and stuck to it. Yeah, and actually I will say another positive. I thought the fly swatter gag was actually pretty funny. It reminded me a lot of the rakes yeah. from, yeah, the Simpsons episode with Sideshow mm-hmm. Bob, but it worked pretty well. Uh, and the way that, like, you know, obviously the kids kept getting hit by them, but then at a certain point, like, members of OSS wound up getting hit by them as well. I thought that was actually pretty funny. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Keeping the lights on at Spy Hard's HQ ain't cheap. And frankly, Norris feeding the school of attack piranhas. So we need your help. Roger that, Scott. Only at the Spy Hard's Patreon can you gain access to exclusive shows like Agents in the Field, which tackles non-spy films starring your favorite spy icons, and The Debrief, where we channel our inner solitaires and predict how the big spy movie news of today will impact tomorrow. So make like a Treadstone agent and activate your Patreon membership at patreon.com slash spyhards today. Cam, tell the people what we have in our sites this week. Nurse that Halloween hangover by checking out episodes on The People Under the Stairs and the Rocky Horror Picture Show, or the latest episode of The Debrief, where we looked at the John Wick spin-off TV show, The Continental. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy chinks. But speaking of low scores, I've got a few more that we haven't really tucked into just yet, and I'll, I'll lead us off. I mean, I've mentioned the sort of lack of chemistry in the leads. I've mentioned it being a rehash of one and three, which we can dig into some more if you want. But what I really couldn't stand is the over-reliance on the MacGuffin and not explaining the MacGuffin and also just deus ex machina, the ending. Yeah. It it really did just shrug its way at the end. It, it, he wrote himself into a corner and mm-hmm. said, we'll just uh, shake our hands and uh, that'll be the end. Uh, I was like, okay. Which I think one of the spy, I think Spy Kids three has the same problem, where you have you know the big uh, the Stallone monster trying to take destroy the world, and all of the friends turn up, and then they go, "You should be friends, Stallone." And he goes, "Yeah, we should," and then they're all friends, which I don't like. It, it's lazy writing, and this film does the exact same thing at the end. I'm like, I've suffered ninety plus minutes of this film. Give me a, a well written ending, and it can't. Well, you want to establish some sort of rules so you can understand why the characters are victorious in some way and this pulls just like the the trope of like uh you know tony is defeated by the king in combat and is laying there i don't know dead i guess i don't know they're wired into a vr thing so Mm -hmm. i don't really know the rules but um he just like pops back up because there's some sort of like I don't know, like code or something like that, though. Was it like the one hit? They're like, you've activated the one hit. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And he's able to just defeat the king with one hit after that. And I'm like, I don't understand anything that just happened. This feels like they were just making it up on the fly. Well, that's exactly, I think, what they were doing. Uh, You look at Spy Kids 3, you have the guy who has like all the lives. I think it's it's not Tobey Maguire, it's someone else. It's, um, It's Frodo. Oh, Elijah Wood, yeah. Elijah Wood, he's the guy. And he has like 999 lives and it's set up. It's like, oh, we're going to go find the guy. What is the guy? He's the, he's the best at the game. Da, 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 da. And they set it up and they talk about it throughout. There is no setup of this one hit. It isn't really explained apart from a little bit of expositional dialogue from the sister. And I, I, I assume it's meant to be like 
sometimes you can get lucky in a game and pull out like the the big mega weapon of the game, mm-hmm. uh, and and then you know. Uh, like one hit kill like it, it's like um golden gun mode on goldeneye we're gonna reference that game one hit kill oh i don't you're sounding old scott oh you're being a real devlin my back hurts uh yeah so that's i guess what they're going for but they don't set it up and it's just kind of it's there and then he just magically wins and yeah okay yeah and they become friends it I, it just feels like if you're gonna set up some stakes pay it off there's an interesting concept to what the king wants where yeah. He's using this Armageddon code to basically bend the world to his will and make everyone be good people. Yeah. I just didn't quite understand how that worked because it's like... What, what is the Armageddon code? Do you know? It basically can hack into like any technology across the world. I think that's the basis of it. And he sets it up so that um, every human being has to play a video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is basically locked out of everything, your computer, your ATMs, everything. And they've got to play a video game that I guess will teach them the lesson to be good because you can only beat the Heck Knight by, I don't know, saving him or something like that. But, like, I don't know that his scheme made any sense, (laughs) to be honest with you. Like, I don't know that making adults play video games for extended periods of time would have resulted in the outcome he wants, and maybe that's the point is that his version of making this happen is not realistic but i i just was scratching my head a lot at trying to even understand how like an adult character because the thing is it should be the kids that win because they think like kids Mm -hmm. but there's nothing that billy magnuson's doing feels like he's thinking like an adult no he's seeming more like a kid himself like he's not quite uh mature a lot of the time but like i I don't want to put uh, too much emphasis on like it not having rules and it not being logical because it is a kids film. And I, I, I've watched a lot of kids films that don't really necessarily follow logic. It's more for entertainment purposes. That's absolutely fine. But even as a kid, you know when something isn't quite right. And I feel like that ending really does just come out of nowhere. And it like it, it bumps you. Like you you feel the loss of the, of the boy a little bit, or you're supposed to at least. But he's like, oh, don't worry, I'm not actually dead. I've got this magic uh, doodah, I've won. And so, uh, okay. And so all it's all that sort of, you lose the wind. Like you, you lose that sort of, um, as a word, a phrase, turn of phrase I'm looking for. But basically, whatever sort of drive that film had going, it just drops it at that point. It has, it has no sort of urgency. Everything just disappears. It just goes, this is the end, goodbye. And that that's, I feel like any age would have a problem with that. And I think that was the problem I had. It could come up with a weird solution like that, but it could have spent some time in the film earlier saying, oh, we're going to try and find the, the, the one hit. What's the one hit? Okay, you explain the one hit. You get, you see someone else use the one hit and you go, oh, okay, that's all. That's okay. How do I get this? Set up a rule. You get there. That's how you do it. But it didn't do anything like that. It just came out of nowhere and it frustrated me to no end. Yeah. Um, something I found frustrating was like, the themes of the movie, they really put all of that stuff in basically the dialogue for Patty. Mm-hmm. Everly Garganella, I mean, this is like a, I don't know, seven or eight-year-old kid. I don't even know how old she is. She's very, very young. And it's just endless dialogue of her, like, snapping at people about, you know, being honest or being, yeah, like, truthful. She's nine. Nine, okay. But how old would she have been when they shot this? Eight, Probably eight, seven. yeah. 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 Uh, so it's like everything is very didactic, she says, throughout the movie. And 
maybe Rodriguez feels like, well, kids won't pick up on it unless I have another kid say this over and over and over. But it feels like a lot of the movie is her just like scolding adults and her brother yeah. for not being truthful or whatever. And I'm like, enough. Like, I don't sit through like, you know, when I was a kid and I'm thinking like very young, I didn't sit through like classic Disney movies confused about what the message was because they weren't saying the message every three minutes. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I agree. That was the other main dislike I wanted to take a look at, or the other low score, I should say. But it, it, it's it's weird because, you know, at one point, our, our adult spies talk about this mission explode or mission fireball or something like that, I think it was called. Yeah, fireball. Um, where they basically took out a base by shooting them and beating them up and took down the bad guy who is called Vargos, not Vargas. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Could that be... Could that be a connection to Bond? Probably not. But uh, that was, it turns out to be Billy Magnuson's father. And that's his sort of drive to be a villain slightly. And, you know, the daughter chastises them for not going in there and throwing a love bomb and like commending him for his interior design. And it's meant to have us like, you know, you can do all these great things, but with joy instead of with pain. And I, I understand what they're trying to say. But this is a spy action film. Like, I don't think people would want to watch her version of the film. I'm just saying. There was a super weird moment at the end of this movie where the parents are like, hey, Devlin, we're leaving OSS. And then Devlin says, well, we're going to implement a lot of the lessons we've learned basically from Patty. And then there is a shot. I think it's like their feet or something. Like, it's not showing... Gina Rodriguez's face, but you just hear her say, we'll stay then. And it's the most like tacked on, I'm assuming ADR to like yeah. fix this moment. Like, I don't know what was going on, but they did not have footage of Gina Rodriguez actually saying this. And so it's like some random shot of them from behind or something like that. And her saying this tossed off very quick, almost quiet line. And I'm like, what was going on there? I, I bet it was... um like a cheeky contract signing. She didn't know about it. Like she was being signed up in that moment for subsequent films. And they're like, Oh, do you want to come for lunch? And she's like, yeah, we'll do it. And like, that's it. She's signed for now. Yeah. Ten more spy kids films. And we're going to put that in the film. And she's like, no, call my agent. Uh, yeah, that's probably how it happened. I, I don't know what happened there, but I know I noted the same thing and it, it's a, it's a strange choice, but like, that whole idea of, of like, hugging your enemies you know a coke around the world putting that little flower in the guy's gun all that sort of stuff it, it, it's lovely but <laughs> you you deal with morality a lot more in like the adult spy films especially some of the darker ones and and less actiony ones as well this is a action kids film they don't they don't want to watch the love bomb they want to watch some you know karate chops and laser beams and and fart bombs and you know, silly stuff, but that's way more appetizing to kids and probably their parents watching too than, than whatever she's proposing happens to the OSS. But it, it hangs like, you know, the sort of Damocles over the film the whole time through. It it's it looms large, like this this metaphor, the story that they're trying to tell you. I just feel like you're missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you should work kind of your arguments into the story, not just like spout the arguments the whole time. Yeah, it, it show don't tell. Exactly. Yeah, That's yeah, it. and and I mean, I thought the um, alternate version of how to handle Fireball and you know Vargas dancing with the family and stuff—that's a funny like sight gag. Sure. But 
that's not a realistic movie. <laughs> like, people sign up for Spy Kids movies because they want to see, like, wacky chases in the streets like you get here. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, them fighting... Fun gadgets and yeah, stuff. Yeah, them fighting uh, these Aztec warriors and skeletons and stuff like that. Like, that's the sort of thing. And I want to say, I, I actually really dug, like, the Aztec element of this movie. These sure. movies are obviously very much, you know, Rodriguez is uh, Mexican-American. And so he likes to bring a lot of his culture into this series which i think is invaluable from casting all the way down and i like that he worked in like these aztec soldiers and pyramids and all that sort of thing like i love the sensibility of the movie but Mm -hmm. like honestly it's the action scenes against like the skeletons and stuff that that's i think where kids would get a lot of the fun from well i i I mean i can only speak for boys yeah but like i i wanted to be james bond or i wanted to be you know Captain Picard, and I was running around with a phaser, or uh, or with you know a, a PP seven and that, and karate chopping my brothers. I wasn't, you know, talking to them when we were fighting. No, but the movie wants to have its cake and eat it too, because uh, Billy Magnuson's character is given the kind of the patty approach, mm-hmm. uh, in you know basically dealt with with kid gloves, and that they send him back into the video game to learn maybe some lessons and come back out you know, rehabilitated, but they also work in a fight between him and Tony, you know, this spear fight. So it's like, well, you got to have the fight scene and then have the, uh, the Patty morality forgiveness lesson. moment. Yeah. The morality lesson. It's like, uh, it's like you have Patty saying these things all through the movie and it gets really grating, but the movie is not even really supporting her because they're constantly trying to work in action sequences. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, you brought up a thing that was in my mind during the film, but you mentioning it has has caused it to stir. And that is the sort of the Mexican uh, sort of Latin American references and, and influences and things like that. Some of the soundtrack, which you actually you did mention earlier, I said I wasn't really paying attention, but I actually in the back of my mind was. And one thing I found interesting and weird was there was a lot of like, you know, I would say in terms of, if you were to tell someone in the studio how to play something, you'd say Spanish guitar style. It's not necessarily Spanish, but you know what I'm talking about. Listeners, you'll know the sort of sound I'm making or yeah. I'm thinking about. The fact that it was playing whenever Zachary Levi was on screen, I found just a bit <laughs> a bit incongruous. A bit of cognitive dissonance was happening there because he's the most white bred American man I can think of. Uh, I get it for like the, the wife and the kids. I, I understand where that's coming from, but like they would like when, when Zachary Levi is walking through the room, that's Shazam. That's like the squarest square of them all. Uh, so that that was a bit weird. Doesn't Zachary Levi feel almost like Joel McHale? Like the yeah. casting oh, on the dads yeah. in these two movies is very similar. <laughs> it just compared us to Antonio Banderas. Like, I know. Charisma bomb. This like absolute like oh I, I could stare at Antonio Banderas all day and that's not just me like fancying the guy it's more of a case of like Joel McHale and and like Zachary Levi they, I I bet at some point they were both sat in a waiting room in Hollywood auditioning for something simultaneously definitely maybe uh, Joel McHale was up for Shazam who knows oh could you imagine what would be worse what is worse Zachary Levi or Joel McHale for for Shazam I don't dislike uh zachary levi and shazam especially the first one i think he's actually pretty fun in that oh i'll uh i don't have any experience with shazam comics or anything to go off from but i i didn't like either film so i i i can't say i agree with that one 
but that's that's all of i think we've spoken about the rest of the low scores so i have i've just got some notes left over but are you happy to go into note sections i am ready for notes um i've got a number of quirky things that don't really fit into uh the best or the worst well take us away okay one thing i really noted was do you recall when you were in school no having a lot of um like competitive card game tournaments that resulted in prizes of video games well did you seriously i was like this is insane this is a fantasy i can't even imagine pokemon cards were all the rage when i was in early high school and we had tournaments at school like the school held the tournaments yep seriously Mm -hmm. i thought this was insane when i was watching the movie i didn't realize that this was something that actually happens no, I mean, Pokemon cards were... I mean, they're still going now, to be fair. And, like, Magic the Gathering... Actually, Magic yeah. the Gathering was going the whole time. That's kind of card tournaments, too. Well, these are things that definitely exist. Like, when I was, a, you know, in school, Magic, you'd see people playing it at lunch hour. But it wasn't like the school was holding tournaments and giving away, like, expensive prizes. I, I'm not I'm not sure about expensive prizes. That's probably the bit, a bit of a reach. We definitely had tournaments in school. I can't confirm that. Who, like, held the tournament? Like, who was the one overseeing it? I think it was a club. But was it a teacher? Oh, they have to have a teacher or at least a teacher or two. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only speak for the United Kingdom, but that was definitely what we were doing. Uh, we have a lot of after school clubs here in the UK, but after school curricular, you know, extracurricular activities, as it were, are a big thing, I think, in North America too. So, okay. I mean, did you not have like av club and stuff like that you always hear that on tv so is that not a thing i mean i know that's different but like there, there were like clubs after school in your end right yeah but not nothing like this it wouldn't be like hey kids we're having golden eye tournaments after class you just weren't invited cam <laughs> like i remember that a bunch of the guys in the computer room would play duke nukem uh and have a tournament of that but it, it wasn't like the school was holding the tournament hail to the king baby great game that's right great game. well great games I could keep doing Duke Nukem impressions for the rest of this episode, but I won't bore you with that. Oh, okay, well, I, I, I get where you're coming from, but that is a real thing. So that, that does have some sort of uh, foundation. A corrective. Mm. Okay, so one from me was, you you know at one point the uh, Armageddon code is infecting some of the world. It makes a point to say some of the world. Mm. Um, I noticed that the UK was unaffected. Oh, weird. Why do you think that is? Because we're not worth infecting. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's my theory i'm sticking to it yeah okay well maybe uh billy magnuson learned his lesson from messing with the british in no time to die oh yeah you see what happens to you then exactly go on cam um another one i had was who has computer printers in their kitchen that's i mean that's fair you're not gonna tell me you do do you i'm not gonna be proof is this a common thing in britain where it's just like we've all got computer printers in our in our kitchen Immediately after this, I'm going to go cook dinner and, and, and print some forms. And I just feel like you should do it at the same time. Wow. No, I, I don't. That, I mean, I remember I, I, that that is odd. I do remember, though, at one point in my life, my printer was in my kitchen because my whole computer was in the kitchen. Okay. Uh, I think that was just because I was living in a small house at the time. Right. It was, like a, it was like a front room slash kitchen and my computer was in there. Like, does that count? I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you North Americans in your copious amount of space. Us <laughs> in the UK, we're not worth infecting, and we all live in tiny little huts. Apparently, okay, that like did jump out to me. I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." 
Weird. Uh, that, uh, yeah, that that is uh, an interesting one to point out. Uh, my last note was just, I wish I had that mood bomb to make myself enjoy this film more. Had this played in theaters, they would have been rolling those into every single theater screen. I, I, I longed for scratch and sniff. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I'll close out my notes with something I actually really liked, which was the squeaking floor and the kids making the map of where the squeaks were in the floor so they could be like sneaking around their parents. That is something Rodriguez said him and his uh, siblings did when they were kids. And I think it felt like one of those yeah. rare organic moments in the movie where I'd go like, oh, that feels like a lived experience that someone is translating to the screen. I thought it was a really fun idea. No, I, I, I think I've had something similar in an old house where like a certain step was not the one to step on. So you had to always go past it when you were trying to go to bed late at night. So I right. totally get it. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's a real thing. Yeah, when you're trying to sneak in with a few, uh, you know, mood bombs to have a nice evening <laughs> and uh you know you want to go in your room and roll a few you you you, you need to get in with some subtlety mm-hmm. and hey that's where my spy stuff starts it's sneaking around the house as a kid same here yeah you, you were just you were just playing golden eye not being invited to card parties no kidding no kidding and i wasn't <laughs> cool enough to have the double glasses like devlin no you were not no you were not. you are cool now though cam you're the host of a spy movie podcast look how cool you are you can wear three <laughs> pairs if you'd like <laughs> Yes, I have achieved Devlin status at last. <laughs> Devlin only, though. Yeah. Devlin yeah. or John McHale, you can pick. But let's head over to the knock list. We thought the Spy Kids franchise was done. It had four shots, but it's getting a fifth time at bat. Cam, do you think Spy Kids Armageddon is making the knock list? No. No, I don't. I just... I know that they want to resurrect this franchise for a new generation. I actually am in favor of doing that. Sure. This is just not the movie. This feels like all the time in the world where there's no spark where you go like, oh, they found a way to make this feel fresh. And I'll say this, like when I look at the first three Spy Kids movies, regardless of what you think of any of them, they all feel like very distinct movies. You have the original, which is kind of a James Bond riff. You have, like, the adventure film that's the second. And you've got the 3D um, video game kind of movie for the third. Those feel very different. When I look at four and five, they feel like they were, like, Spy Kids movies. They had no, like, genre they're playing with that was interesting. It just feels like kind of following the template of what a Spy Kids movie based on the first should be. Mm -hmm. And... To me, like, that's just not interesting. And, I mean, who knows how this plays on Netflix. But it's been interesting how, given the release of this movie, you would think it would have a certain amount of fanfare. Like, Spy Kids is a known brand. It lands on Netflix. Typically, whatever lands on Netflix, you hear about for a week or two. Yeah. I've never heard of anyone mentioning this movie other than a couple critics and only, I think, two critics on my letterbox who reviewed it. And and it's also, you know, when a new spy movie comes out or when a spy movie has trailers, usually we'll get tagged in posts. People are like, hey, guys, have you seen this film that's coming out? And bubkiss. Yeah. And so, like, the complete lack of excitement around this movie, I think, is somewhat deserved. I don't think this movie lives up to something that would ever make the knock list. No. Well, I won't belabor the point. It's a no from me. I think we've both made it perfectly clear. I feel like if you're going to have the opportunity to to fully reboot the Spy Kids franchise, you better come up with a cool way of doing it and an interesting idea and something just creatively different to what you were doing before. Actually reboot it instead of just remaking it. 
Or recycling, yeah. Yeah, this is a remake, a recycling of the original ideas, unfortunately. It, it it's And it's not even a synthesis of all of the good things. It's a synthesis of a lot of the bad things, too. And it dragged it down. And uh, yeah, so I, I can't recommend this to people. But I need to ask you one more question, Cam. And it's uh, it's been a while since I've asked this question. Hmm. Do we need to get the slide whistle out? I don't think so with this one. Okay. I think, like, I know that three and four made the disavowed list. They did. The third one, to me, is the worst. Like, there's no worse Spy Kids movie than that third one. Uh, that is, as I said, just a demo reel. It's really torture to sit through. All the time in the world, I put, at the time, as the second worst. One and two are easily the best. Like, that, they exist in a separate plane. But, like, mm -hmm. the fourth one wasn't just kind of like hackneyed like this movie is it was just filled with like really obnoxious bathroom humor yeah and it just felt like really cheap and tacky low didn't brow have any charm yeah low Weirdly. brow it had like a good idea with the tiktok villain but other than that it was kind of unpleasant mm -hmm. and so that one definitely deserved to be on the disavowed list this one to me maybe more damning it's so generic that i just am like i don't know like this is this is a vapor of a movie that I'm going to forget about in like a week. So to me, when you make the disavowed list, you've got to leave a mark. And I don't think this movie leaves a mark. See, I'm not so convinced. Just for people who haven't heard of the disavowed list, if you're a recent tuner in on the show, it's basically the worst of the worst. The Noclis is the best of the best. Disavowed is literally the pits of all things spy movies. It's, yeah, it's, it's the dregs at the bottom of the barrel, as it were. But to get onto this, we both need to agree that it's awful to get onto this about this. Cam says no, so I don't think it's actually going to make it. But I will just say, some of the things that have made a disavowed list haven't been bad movies necessarily. They've just been really boring. And I'm going to point at Men in Black 2 as an example. That was terrible. It was pretty bad, but like it was also entertaining at times. So on the no, it wasn't. Of... I disagree 100% on that. I think it's a terrible, terrible movie. Also, Men in Black International, again, was just pretty like generic it, it didn't do anything to really push the franchise forward it was a reboot reimagining whatever that really didn't do anything to push it forward it's almost exactly like this spy kids film and if men in black international is going on i feel like spy kids armageddon should be going on too that's just my two cents to me there has to be like a middle ground to what a spy kids movie is because to me it doesn't even make sense to have three spy kids movies on a disavowed list and then two that are good sure i, I think like to me this is like a two-star movie Whereas I would say Spy Kids 3 and 4 fall more in the one one star for for part 3 and maybe one and a half for uh, part 4. I will, I will say, and I'll leave it as that, because we, we have to both agree to disavow something. I, I wonder what people's reactions to this film would be having not seen any Spy Kids films at all. Which is it's really how we should also be grading it in certain ways. Although it, it is hard when you've, you've watched the films before. You know how it can be done well and, and this isn't doing it. I wonder if someone just stepping into Spy Kids Armageddon, because there's nothing else on Netflix. It's the only Spy Kids film. It doesn't say Spy Kids 5 Armageddon or yeah. Part 1 Armageddon. It has that going for it. It is a complete relaunch of the brand. I wonder if some people might appreciate it more coming from that perspective. And I can only concede that maybe there there is that, at least. I mean, it's, not, it's not reaching the heights of what we enjoyed, but maybe it is a great kids film for kids and only kids can see it and if you haven't got the hang-ups of knowing what the previous films are about maybe it does work 
I mean, I have seen friends' kids sit and watch <laughs> like ten thousand dollar Frozen ripoffs streaming on Netflix and loving every second of it. I can believe that like a kid would sit through this and be absolutely over the moon. Uh, but I I can't really gauge like what a you know six year old would think of Spy Kids five. I I do think like that. <laughs> I guess I'm looking at it like from the point of view of like if you put on spy kids one and two for like a family audience mm -hmm. i think the adults would be like oh that was kind of cute whereas i think they would be running for the exits on a movie like this or especially more so the previous two but this one they'd just be like oh this is kind of like just silly kid stuff i'm leaving the room which is ultimately what we're trying to do here is is as objectively look at what the film they've presented and then it, and it does have its faults and that's why it's not making the knock list but not bad enough to be disavowed and as such the dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified now we have a very special bonus episode coming for you later this week for all you james bond fans out there we are sitting down with james bond fan extraordinaire writer author screenwriter producer mr mark a altman he's been working in the film industry for 30 years now at this point and he has a wonderful book nobody does it better the complete uncensored unauthorized oral history of james bond we're gonna take a deep dive into the book and the treasures that lie beneath its pages plenty of stories about you know him speaking to bond stars like uh, jane seymour uh, robert davy uh, Woody Allen, lots of stuff. He had, did interviews of all these people as part of the book, and we'll get into that. Plus, a lot of talk about what could be next for all things 007. It's a great chat, and Mark is a big friend of the show. So, we've been trying to figure out a way to have him on for a while now, and it's about time that we did. So, make sure you tune in this Friday for our chat with Mr. Mark A. Altman. But, Cam, the question goes to you as it always does what are we talking about next week? Yes, we are going to be talking about the 1942 World War II propaganda spy thriller, Spy Ship. Somewhat influenced by true events, this movie is somewhat obscure, but you can watch it on YouTube. We will also post links to that film before the episode comes out. So uh, check this one out, folks, and tune in for, I think, a very interesting discussion. Yes, we are doing the Spy Hearts special. We're finding a film that's forgotten and bringing it back to life so hop aboard the ship with us next week the spy ship that is as we check out 1942's spy ship and if you like what you heard on the show please consider leaving us a five-star review and join the spy hards die hards and if you don't already make sure you follow us discreetly on social media at spy hards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week folks armageddon out of here mm -hmm.